Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Walter C. Young III. Uh, he is a uh, MBA. Uh, he is the author of a new book called The Fifth Option, A Journey to Retirement Readiness, Why Your Retirement Plan Won't Work the way you think it will. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Walter. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Excited to be here. Just give us a little bit of your background leading into writing this book. Yeah, so I've been in the financial services industry for uh, since the early 2000s. Uh, previous to that, I worked at uh, management consulting, an international management consulting firm after acquiring my MBA. And so I've been very interested in the study of how financial planning at the corporate level and financial planning at the individual level are either similar or different. And I brought a lot of kind of the lessons from the corporate world into what we'll call the family living room. And one of those specifically that we'll be talking about today is how retirement income is going to be generated and more importantly, how to optimize retirement income. A lot of academic research has been coming out in this area. As we all know, uh, you know, people retiring today don't have some of the old tools that they used to, uh, once used to have. And I think it really begs uh, for a deep dive into how is your retirement income really going to work? Let's kind of start in general with the kind of general state of financial planning and retirement. We have tons of baby boomers now in their 60s and 70s retiring all the time. You'd think they'd be the best prepared. prepared. They've had 401ks that the previous generation didn't have. In general, we've had a booming stock market for the last few years. Are in general the people retiring today doing pretty well? I'll tell you, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit all over the map. But one of the things that boomers do have a benefit is they also still have pensions. A lot of them will retire with pensions and 401ks, as you talked about. So they do have this interesting mix of some guaranteed incomes as well as uh, some of their investment income. But by and large, even folks that uh, have some assets to their name seem to have the same single concern, which is running out of money. Uh, in fact, there was a study done uh, by an industry maybe a handful of years ago that suggested that people are more scared to run out of money than they are to die, which I thought was a very interesting comment on uh, in today's society. Even people that feel like they have lots of money still have this concern. And I think perhaps never before have we been more responsible for our own financial outcomes. And that is at the baby boomer level, and more importantly, even the younger folks, where we know there's been a lot of challenges financially as they be, you know, get out of college, get into the first careers, and begin to move towards that natural steps towards home ownership, uh, and uh, so I think, you know, we're finding ourselves in a position where society is pivoting from some of the old financial planning tenants to ones that we're going to new ones that we're going to have to develop. So let's talk about in specific areas. Housing is the first one. So as people retire, I mean, the old model is you kind of get to retirement. You built up a lot of equity in your home. You sell it. You downsize. You live off the money. Is that different today in, in uh, retirement uh, views towards housing? Yeah, I think one of the differences today is that some, a lot of folks aren't having their homes paid off, right? When was the last time you actually went to a mortgage burning party, uh, if you remember what those were? Uh, and so a lot of times folks have refinanced, you know, for, you know, paying their kids college or some other expenses. Maybe they are uh, bought a second home or, or bought a home later in life. And so there's a lot of new strategies around home equity. Certainly, there are lots of folks who have their homes paid off. They'll trade down and uh, then begin to you know, take the extra money for retirement. But things like reverse mortgages that once used to be a really big taboo word have really evolved into becoming 
uh, a, a person's um, another source of income potentially at retirement. So there's a lot more st strategic thinking around how to use your home equity today. The other change is that people have mortgages from a few years ago at much lower rates, three and 4%. And if they were to buy a new home today, it would be at seven to 8%. So they're staying put, whereas in past generations, they might've sold and, and downsized. Is that a major factor in retirement housing trends? Yeah, that's that's certainly a, an issue to be considering. And, and in fact, the fact that housing markets, depending on the areas you live, there's a lot of folks that want to downsize, but they're shocked by the actual, you know, the value of the home that they actually want to downsize to. So maybe they're looking for a place, you know, a water view or a mountain view or something, and they realize that it's more of a push than it is really a savings. Uh, so, you know, you have to, be, you know, you may be shocked that when you're looking for uh, that that home that's a little bit uh, your second home into retirement that could be substantially more expensive than you actually thought. And then how about these continuing care communities? You think that's a good idea for somebody to get in when they're still in pretty good shape and as they deteriorate, have different levels and end up in the nursing home part, but have it all be one thing where you pay one amount up front. Do you think that's a good idea for people thinking of retiring You know, in that situation? Yeah, we have to understand that about seven out of 10 people are going to experience some sort of long-term care requirement. And so everyone needs to have a long-term care plan, whether that is self-insuring or looking into some sort of long-term care insurance yourself. And we have to just be honest with the fact that our spouse is likely to be our long-term care advocate, but not probably the person doing the daily care. So I think it's really important that we do have some sort of strategy around, you know, what would that look like? I have firsthand knowledge of uh, my in-laws who do live in a facility like that, and it is a, an enormous help and actually really just a relief of uh, mindset that, you know, they do have folks that they can uh, work with if they begin to deteriorate. It can be very expensive, right? And so a lot of folks will try to do that earlier, uh, you know, before these some of these facilities get out of uh, out of range in terms of their prices. While we're on it, what do you think of long-term care insurance? It's gotten much more expensive. A lot of the companies that used to be in it aren't in it anymore. Some people get it as a rider to index universal life or other things. Do you think it's a good idea to get long-term care insurance of some form? Well, again, everyone's situation is going to be different. So we have to understand, you know, the fact that, you know, if you're going to pay long-term care, you're going to need to have the funds. And so you can either uh, decide that you have the funds yourself, in which case you might look at self-insuring, or you may take a look at, at some long-term care insurance. You've mentioned that the fact that a lot of companies have exited that uh, and a lot of people with older policy are probably seeing their premiums uh, being increased fairly significantly as, I, in my opinion, life insurance companies mispriced it uh, you know, when they first started selling long-term care. But there are some other solutions, ones that you talked about, which is maybe traditional life insurance policies that do have some sort of a critical care or a long-term care rider. Uh, I think it really just comes down to, you know, what, you know, can you self-insure and do you want to self-insure? And in all honesty, the leverage isn't quite the same that it used to be uh, in, in, you know, and maybe even five or seven years ago where a dollar bought a lot more long-term care insurance. But we have to understand that you, need, you do need to have a plan when it comes to long-term care one way or another. It's worth shopping and understanding kind of what the costs look like. And then you maybe work with a professional to determine your situation. Does the premium you're going to pay, is it worth it? Uh, some folks just like to have that, uh, that peace of mind that no matter what happens, they have a long-term care plan through the insurance companies. Other will maybe a little more aggressive and really take an attitude of, you know, if I invested these premiums over 15 or 20 years, you know, would I have a, a bucket of money that would be similar to what the long-term care insurance might offer? Uh, and so it really is, it does come down a little bit to your own preference versus, you know, having a guaranteed solution versus maybe one that the market is going to uh, hopefully bring to you down the road. 
So when you're in pretty good shape, say you're in your 60s, early 70s, and based on life expectancy today, what should people plan on as far as how much money, not how much money, but how many years should they expect to get into the 90s? I mean, kind of, that's kind of the, the basis of how much money you need as to how long you're going to last. Yeah, so for sure, you know, when you think about life expectancy, a lot of people get quoted life expectancy from birth, which is quite the different number than life expectancy if you make it to 65. So statistics will tell us that if a couple makes it to age 65, there is a 50% chance someone's going to make it past 90. Right? We have to remember that life expectancy really means half the people have passed away and half the people are still alive. So I think for sure people need to be thinking about living into their 90s. Uh, you know, we all probably have parents or family members that are living into their late 80s and 90s. And of course, as medical advances and uh, treatments become more available, there's certainly you know the, the ability that, that even medicine might help do that. So I think you know one of the things we have to remember is your money has to last however long you do. And one of the most important questions we all have to answer is, you know, what what is our life expectancy and what kind of returns do we expect in the market? And those are two unanswerable questions. And so therefore, we have to plan for the longest potential you might live so that your money doesn't run out. So one thing people worry about all the time is Medicare. I mean, it looks like we're about to close the government down, have government shut down over spending. And Medicare is one of the big ones. Is Medicare approaching a crisis? And do you think Congress can do something about it? Well, that's quite the political uh, time bomb to throw in there. Uh, you know, there is a lot of unfunded uh, benefits that need to be dealt with at some point. Uh, you know, I think we should all be cautious about the fact that government is spending so much and that a lot of these benefits aren't really on the balance sheet or considered uh, off the book liabilities. Uh, and so I, I'm always a proponent that we should just try to take care of our own business as best we can and hope that the government figures it out for us. You know, there is a very large baby boomer uh, base that certainly will have a political uh, vote that will be important going forward. There is also a very large millennial group, right? But that's uh, generally, you know, their children that will also have a very large group. And so, you know, the the, the fireworks can be perhaps, you know, the, the baby boomers trying to make sure that their benefits are, are there for as long as they live. And maybe the millennials who are saying, wait a minute, what about us? So it's something that we, you know, we'll have to say to be determined. What do you think should be done if you were running Medicare what changes should be made to allow it to last longer and be in better financial shape? Well, I'm going to politely sidestep that a little bit, not being an, you know an expert on the government side of things, but we can certainly we can certainly come to some uh, you know basic conclusion that if if our expenses certainly outweigh the receipts of money coming in, then there's only a couple of ways to handle that. One is to cut benefits, or the other is to raise taxes, right? So. If we're, if we're running a deficit that's too significant, you, we probably need to understand that one of those two or some combination of those, of those two things are likely to happen. I do know that in Canada, for example, they're doing some experiments with uh, pushing Social Security out to older ages. You know, so there may be, you know, in line with longevity, there may be some changes of when some of these benefits start. We have to remember that when these benefits were put into place, especially Social Securities of the world, that life expectancy really wasn't much past age 60, 65. So there was really, when these were designed, didn't have people living into their 90s and 100s as the runway for these benefits. So we'll probably have to modernize what this looks like uh, here you know, in the next handful of years. We've been talking about this for a long time and nothing's been done yet, so we'll see. Okay, well, we're going <laughs> to take a break here. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Walter C. Young. He is the author of a new book called The Fifth Option, A Journey to Retirement Readiness. 
why your retirement plan won't work the way you think it will, you can find out more at his website, thefifthoption.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Walter C. Young. He is the author of a book called The Fifth Option, A Journey to Retirement Readiness, Why Your Retirement Plan Won't Work the Way You Think It Will. His website, thefifthoption.com. Welcome back to the show, Walter. Thank you. So we also were talking a little bit about what's different about this level of retirement than the past. There are more opportunities than there were in the past. Why don't you go through some of the new opportunities that people nearing retirement might have? Well, let's take a little, let's maybe take a little detour and go backwards first before we get to where we are today. We have to, I think one of the things I did at research for my book that I thought was very interesting is people retiring today and generations that are going to come after that are much more like the people in the 1900s than they are their parents, perhaps. And that is because we are losing some of the financial uh, safety nets that once for the last 50 years really ruled the world, namely pensions. Right. And so what we have to understand is that people today, especially, you know, we'll call it Gen X and younger are living much longer than previous generations. And th therefore, that brings a lot more challenges to how to plan for your retirement. So gone are pensions, gone are 30-year careers, gone is the golden watch, gone is for the most part the mortgage-burning parties. And so now we make way for what I'll call modern economic thinking, which is now how do I begin to generate a retirement income knowing that I am gonna be likely solely responsible for the entire thing? We could certainly uh, argue about whether Social Security be around, but most people we think about when we talk about retirement planning want to make sure that they can handle it themselves. 
And so that's a very daunting task. You know, so perhaps never before we've been more responsible for our own financial outcome, but also on the positive side, there's a lot more opportunities that are happening, right? We see that there's the, the younger folks are really into side hustles and entrepreneur uh, opportunities. They're much more mobile uh, workforce and they are benefiting from the new technologies that are coming out each day. So even though it feels like financial planning may be daunting for a lot, we have to balance that with the opportunities that are rising. But I think the one thing that we can't argue with is the fact that we have this need for financial literacy. No matter where we sit in our financial lives, we have to begin to understand that we need to take control of our own outcomes. And unfortunately, financial literacy is something that is not taught. Right? We don't learn it in schools. We barely, I, mean, I have an MBA in finance. I can tell you, I think I had one class on personal finance. The rest was all about corporate finance. And so we have this desperate need for people to begin to learn how is their financial lives going to go. And so as we start to evolve past the 1900s, where at the end of the 1900s, basically you worked until the day you died, right? You either worked, you either, either became a ward of the state or you literally just died at that point. But slowly in the 1920s and 30s, uh, we began to have this explosion of pensions, the idea of social security. And so the three-legged stool was born, which the three-legged stool is social security, your pension, and then whatever money you can save. And one of the interesting things, I don't know if your audience has folks remember the mortgage rates back in the early 80s, but they were in the, you know, the teens or even low 20s, is that as we start to think about the last 40 or 50 years, we know that interest rates have slowly been declining over that period of time. Now, why that's important is that we used to be able to live off of the interest or dividends that a passbook savings or a CD would give us or a bond fund might give us or bonds themselves. And as we began to move towards a zero interest rate, a new phenomenon started to happen, which is we needed to now start to sell shares of mutual funds or investments that we have. And when we went from just being able to live on the principal to actually having to sell shares, something interesting happened. And that is now we had market timing or volatility to deal with. If I need to create money for next year's income and I have to sell some shares, what happens if the markets are negative? And that was a phenomenon that really we didn't deal with much until recently. And that is now known as the volatility. Uh, we have a lot of volatility risk, and that is kind of the new buzzword when it comes to retirement planning. How do I deal with volatility risk? And so Jordan, if you give me a second, let me tell you a parable and see if this works okay. for you. Maybe play along. One of the things that's in the book, I think, that really helps point this out is what I call the desert island story, which is imagine you were washed up on a desert island and there was no water on the island, but in front of you, luckily, was a barrel of water. And you recognize that that water is the entire amount of water you have to drink. As you look around the island wondering, the biggest question you might ask yourself is, Jordan, how much water can you drink each day? Oh, I don't know. Two gallons? I'm not sure how many, something like that. Well, there'll be, there'll be, two, there'll be two questions you'd want to know before you answer that. One is, how long am I going to be on this island? And the second question is, will it ever rain? And yes. if you were going to be there the rest of your life, and you thought that it barely was going to rain, then you may amend your answer from two gallons to maybe just as little as possible to keep me alive. Yes. And that is what I call the desert island dilemma. Now, let's switch the scene and say instead of a desert, you are now celebrating your last day at work. 
And your boss gives you a barrel, not of water, but of money. And he says, this is all the money you have for the rest of your life. As you drive home, you start thinking to yourself, well, how much money can I spend each day? And again, two similar questions may pop up. One is, how long am I going to live? How long does this money have to last? Well, I can't know that. The second question is, well, how will the markets do? I can't know that answer either. And so when I don't have the ability to answer those two critical retirement questions, the answer defaults to, I will spend as little as possible because I'm nervous that I could run out of money. And that is the basis of the book is understanding that paradox, that dilemma that follows us now that we don't have some of the old traditional retirement aids. So what is the fifth option? Well, maybe briefly, that's one of the first four traditional options, and then let's get to what the fifth option is. Yeah, so, so what, the, the, what the Desert Island Dilemma does for is it sets up the conversation for how much money can you pull out of your retirement accounts so that they don't run out of money. And a study was done in the 1990s by a gentleman named William Bengen, who understood this, this fundamental dilemma, which was if my portfolio earns 8% and I withdraw 6 why are my clients running out of money? It seems that there would be a 2% profit each year. And what we learned is that the average of 8% is not a linear number, meaning we don't get 8% every single year, the same amount every single year in our retirement. We get a market full of lots of different numbers, some positive, some negative, some big, some small. And if they average 8%, your advisor can tell you I earned you 8%, but the sequence that I earned that average matters. Meaning if I have negative numbers up front, I could run out of money very quickly. If I have negative numbers in the back, I might leave my children lots. But the problem is I won't know until I get there whether or not my sequence of return is going to be favorable to me or not. And so what the fifth option is, it begins to deal with what are my mitigating effects that I can use to answer those two questions that really hamper us. When you go to a traditional financial planning, you'll oftentimes, if you do your a financial analysis and don't like the answer of income that they're projecting for you, they'll give you four choices. I call them the four frustrating options. The first option is, well, you can always save more money, which is certainly something we all know we could do. But one of the things, even if you could save more money, is that then I am choosing my later lifestyle for today's lifestyle, right? Remember, there's a lifestyle war happening. My current lifestyle is, is fighting against my future lifestyle, and I have to balance those two. The second option is I might need to take more risk trying to get better return, but oftentimes folks in retirement are looking to reduce risk. The third option is I will work longer, but sometimes I either can't or I don't want to work longer. And so the fourth option that most people tell me is just, I will just have to live on less. And all the retirement dreams that people thought they have, they'll start to tell me things like, well, I don't need to go on these trips. I don't have to go out to dinner. And so we start to capitulate and really begin to think about the world that we don't want to have, the, the, work, the way we want to retire versus the way we have to retire. And so the fifth option begins to put together a handful of solutions that can remedy those four options, right? And I ask clients with a kind of a tongue in cheek, which of those four options are you most excited about? And of course they say none of them. Right. But luckily there's a fifth option that can change the paradigm for us. All right, scrap the fifth option. All right. So what the fifth option does is it begins to take the latest research from the academic world where we begin to go back towards that old pension field of where we combine our investment portfolios with actuarial science. And actuarial science is just a fancy word 
for insurance companies to telling us that they can figure out on average how long we're going to live. See, if you're a couple at home, you have to plan that your money may make it to age 95 or 100. But at the insurance level, they only have to plan for you to live the average life expectancy. Here in, in Washington, let's pretend like it's Boeing trying to figure out what their average pensioner would live. And they might say, my average pensioner might live to be age 83. So the insurance company can pay larger payouts because they only have to plan for you to be at age 83 as opposed to an individual that might have to plan those same payments to make it all the way to 100. And so the way we put this strategy into effect is a couple of ways. One is we know that markets are gonna be volatile. And so as I, if I have a market uh, desire to take my income from, meaning I'm very comfortable with markets, I'm market phobic and, and are okay with, or markets, um, if I'm okay with the markets being part of my retirement plan, then, all I need to make sure is that I have some sort of volatility dampener, what I call the beat the bear approach, meaning that when the markets are negative, where can I turn to in my portfolio to pull that year's income from an account that does not go down? That is one of the most important strategies that we can put together at retirement. We know that if the market is negative and you pull money out of that market, you lost twice, didn't you? Not only did you lose because the market went down, but you locked in that loss by having to reduce the account value by your income requirement. And we know that the markets come back very, very slowly and oftentimes not fast enough to compensate both for the initial market loss and the income withdrawal requirement. So having a volatility dampener or a, or a beat the bear approach is one of the most important things we can do. The second way to look at this is what's called a bucket strategy, meaning that we divide our dollars into timeframes and jobs for those dollars to do. So when we think about retirement, there's something known as the retirement red zone. The retirement red zone is oftentimes the five years before and the five years after you retire, where any significant loss during that period of time will have a, a out, uh, as outlandish impact on your entire retirement during that period of time. Meaning, if I'm in my 80s and 90s, a market downturn doesn't have nearly the same effect as it does when I'm 62 or, or 67. And so by putting dollars into safer places for that 10-year period of time can also get us through any significant negative approach at that point. And the third option, which maybe we'll get to uh, when we get to out of break, is what's called Pension 2.0. And Pension 2.0 really is a throwback to creating a private pension so that we can have a guaranteed floor of income for as long as you live. We know that when for, for folks that actually do have pensions, you were given a choice of your pension uh, payouts, right? You were given the choice of a life-only payout, which gives you the most income, but has one significant drawback, which is when you pass away, that income stops. So oftentimes, people will take a payout that's reduced so that if they pass away first, their surviving spouse would continue to get some form of income as long as they live. And so we know that that was the old style of pensions. In today's world, we can really recreate something similar using the investment world and some actuarial science products in a similar way to manufacture that same kind of pension. All right, we'll go into that in more detail after the break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Walter C. Young. This book is called The Fifth Option, A Journey to Retirement Readiness, Why Your Retirement Plan Won't Work the Way You Think It Will. 
You can find out more at his website, thefifthoption.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Walter C. Young. He's the author of the book, The Fifth Option, A Journey to Retirement Readiness, Why Your Retirement Plan Won't Work, the way you think it will. You just described what the fifth option uh, is. Welcome back to the show, Walter. Thank you. Appreciate it. We were talking about pension 2.0. We know the traditional pension, but how do you kind of recreate a pension when you don't have a traditional defined benefit pension? Yeah, so let's break down pension 2.0 a little bit. And let me just put a big disclaimer and say, please, this is this is a you know a very high-level overview of it. Please don't act on any of the information without consulting a professional here. But the way, so if you think about what a pension has been traditionally, uh, it's a, it's a promise for a company to pay out for a, some period of time, usually the life of the of the pensioner. And we and one of the things that oftentimes can be frustrating about pension is they have to make this choice between taking the highest level of pension and or and or the, taking the risk of of disinheriting their spouse by you know predeceasing them or taking a lower pension payout and including the spouse. And so if we think about the four outcomes of any pension, let's kind of just see you know, how we would have chosen our pension solution. If we think about the pensioner outlives the spouse, then we really wish we chose the life only, didn't we? Right? Because that we, that we would have had the higher payout all the way through. If the spouse outlives the pensioner, then we're grateful that we took a smaller amount because uh, you know, that we needed to make sure we had that money all the way through. If they both live a long time, then we're frustrated again because we wish we had chosen the life only option because we would have had more money through retirement. And if they both die very early, 
then the children might be frustrated, right? That that income, that the, the, the money that that uh, pensioner accumulated over a lifetime of work was not paid out to anybody. So right. where Pension 2.0 can really begin to manifest itself is we can answer some of those questions. The first one is, I would like for the pensioner to be able to have the choice to have the highest payout option all the way through their life. And we can recreate that by buying a very specific kind of annuity called a single premium immediate annuity. It is one of the highest guaranteed payouts that exists in the financial markets. Today, a 65-year-old might be able to get somewhere between 7 7.5% of distribution uh, per dollar for as long as they live, meaning if they have a million dollars, they might get $75,000 guaranteed the rest of their life. Now, the one, two big drawbacks that come into this play, right, is, is if you're given something amazing, there's got to be some trade-off. The trade-off is that those dollars are irrevocably given to an insurance company, just like a pension or social security, meaning if you die the next day, those dollars are gone and so is the income. So on a mandatory basis with my clients, we oftentimes will pair that single premium immediate annuity with a life insurance premium so that if the spouse or the pensioner does pass away early, the spouse will get a life insurance payout equal to what we gave the insurance company so that in no way is the surviving spouse ever disinherited. So the result of this combination is the following. One is if the pensioner lives a long time or, is the, or lives the longest, then we got the highest payout there was for that person's life. If the pensioner passes away early, they still get the highest payout for as long as that pensioner was alive. And then the spouse is refunded all of the money given to the insurance company so, the, so that surviving spouse can choose to perhaps buy their own SPIA for as long as they live. If they both live a long time, then they will have had the highest payout for that period of time and somebody is gonna get the money back, probably the children. If they both pass away, the pension just doesn't disappear. The life insurance policy will be able to give the surviving you know, the beneficiaries all again, all the money that was given to the life insurance company. So it's a very elegant way of improving our scenario. If we think about the safe withdrawal rate, which is kind of a common theme out there of being three or 4%, then we know that if I can get a, a single premium immediate annuity paying out at seven or seven and a half percent, by definition, I have far more income on a guaranteed basis than the 4% rule. And if I have a life insurance policy backing this up, then I know that I've covered my family, whether I live a long time or have a premature death. But either way is a much more efficient generation of income into retirement. And there's a lot of white papers that are now backing that strategy up as a preferred method for folks who want some sort of floor or guarantees going into their retirements. How can the insurance companies pay seven, seven and a half percent when treasuries are at four or five and they've been much lower than that for a long time? Uh, how can the insurance companies guarantee such a high rate? Well, they do have the ability. Remember, we have the ability to know that the people who live a long time are subsidized by the people that die early. So the insurance companies get to play in the, the pool of large numbers. And so they also have the benefit that they have both life insurance premiums coming in the door, right? As much as they're paying some of these insurance companies out the door. Uh, 
And so it's not that they're that their rates are tied to treasuries, right, at the same as much as they know that they have a source of revenue coming in the door. They can be very specific with how long they, the average person is likely to live. And then they can price those accordingly. Of course, as interest rates get better, these rates get stronger. And as interest rates go down, the rates get smaller. So just a handful of years ago, that seven, seven and a half percent was not even there, right? Currently, it's moving in that direction. And if rates keep going up, we may see it going higher and higher. So the relationship's a little more tricky than just saying it's the 5% yield on treasuries uh, is going to be, you know, what the, the SPIA payouts are. Yeah. Now, related to the SPIA, and to put that in, what would be a minimum uh, to make it worthwhile? I mean, it's 100000 or do you need a million to make the SPIA strategy work? Well, the way the way I work with it is, is the first thing I do is we begin to put together an income plan so that we know what is the income that this client is looking for. And then we want to ask the really important question, which is, how much of that income would you like to be guaranteed, right? And so lots of folks will say, you know, typically they want their basic living expenses to be guaranteed, right? And I, tell, I call it, let's make sure the lights are on guaranteed as long as you live. And so then we can solve for how much guaranteed income is required. And then that will dictate a little bit about how much money can go into something like a SPIA. Some people will be a little more uh, conservative and like to have more of their money guaranteed. Other people will be a little more aggressive and have a little less guaranteed. But when we have that kind of a floor, uh, the ability to you know, create that maybe on top of Social Security, a lot of people will feel very comfortable knowing that they have uh, what I'll call mailbox money. I guess now it's just online money where they, you know, each month, no matter what happens, a paycheck is showing up. And what happens is that we end up getting permission to spend where before when we had to kind of meter our money out on our own, we would typically be very restrictive on how much we spend because we're always fearful of running out. But when we know every month this money is coming through the door, your job is to spend it to zero because it's coming in again next next month. And the insurance side, would you do like a term policy for like 20 years or something? Or you Well, do- you can. I prefer to do a permanent policy because I want to make sure that either the surviving spouse or the children are getting all the money back. I think it's a very elegant way of solving your income as well as a legacy to your children. That one life insurance policy can do both. Now for folks who are in their 40s and 50s, it's a fantastic time to begin thinking about this strategy. If you're in your 60s and 70s, we may not be able to get that same sort of uh, that same sort of synergy put together just because we don't have as much time. So we have to be very careful about uh, you know when we design these you know, what the, what the age and cost of insurance is. There are other solutions for people who are in their 60s and 70s, but a pension 2.0 works really well for people probably 55 and under that have time to be able to build both the asset base that they need for retirement as well as the insurance component of it too. So the SPIA is single premium, but you can add to it, right? It doesn't. You don't have to only put money into it once. You could start. Right. You can certainly build a ladder of them. So there's there's lots of different kinds of single premium immediate annuities. There's some that last a lifetime. There's some that are for periods of time, like a 10-year horizon or a 20-year horizon, something like that. Uh, oftentimes, we might ladder them. So we might have one that goes for 10 years, and then five years, we buy another one that goes for another 10 years, and we kind of ladder the income throughout our lifetime. So there's lots of different ways of architecting it. I'm just using the single premium annuity as a generic uh, solution for our conversation, but no, there's a lot more math behind the scenes to make sure we optimize the guarantees that we can get from the insurance world. So the annuities, you can pick a, a, a time 
over which it, it uh, pays out. You can give it a 10-year or lifetime. You have different payout options. Is that right? That, that's absolutely right. So, for example, let's say you're uh, retiring at age 60 or you have an early retirement and you want to push Social Security out to maybe 67 or 70. So we might purchase an annuity just for that 10-year period, which is called a bridge. That might be the income that bridges you from one age to the next. So maybe from 60 to age 70 and then return on Social Security. Uh, and then that you know might be the missing piece that gets you through your retirement. So so certainly we can look at a lifetime of income or or bridges or periods of time that we're just trying to make sure income is there on a guaranteed basis. Is there a lot of competition amongst insurance companies, stock companies, mutual companies to offer SPIAs? I mean, is it a very competitive market to choose from? It is very competitive. It's a lot. It's a lot like a mortgage or something like that, where you literally want to consider. The strength of the insurance company, number one, right? We want to make sure that it's A-plus rated with a significant history. Uh, and then two, you realize then it really is a commodity pricing. So the best rate wins, right? There's no magic sauce about taking, uh, you know, if they're all on par in terms of their financial strength, then you want to choose the one that has the best rate. Uh, and SPIAs are becoming much more popular now that interest rates are higher. And quite frankly, if we think about it, if you want to live on a three or 4% withdrawal rate, you need a significant amount of more money in assets to make that work, right? So if, if I want a $100,000 income, well, using a 3% withdrawal rate, I need, you know, like $3 million, $3.5 million for that to work, where if I'm using a SPIA, I might need only half that. And so we can gain a lot of efficiency by choosing a distribution tool that's really made for income as opposed to maybe more market-centric tools that are really meant for growth. And this is something that people can do on their own, or is it really important to get a professional to help you figure out? I think out it's critical that if you're going to do this, that you get work with a professional, because we don't want any mistakes, right? And we want to understand how these SPIAs really work and the different choices. I think what's really important is for anybody considering an in retirement income is to go through all the choices that exist. Go through the safe withdrawal option. See how many dollars it takes for you to get the income you want using markets. Then start to migrate towards, what if I have hybrid plans? Maybe like that beat the bear approach where I have most of my money is gonna come from the markets, but I have some dry powder that when markets are negative, that I can shift to an account that doesn't go down in value and use the income that year from there. And then finally migrate all the way over to what does it look like when I use guaranteed solutions where I have income built into the plan on a guaranteed basis. I think it's wonderful to get the, uh, the education of all those choices so you can pick the one that works for you. There's no right answer, right? Financial planning is as much art as it is science. If there is one way to do it, we'd all do it the same way. But everyone has their own preferences, their own ideas of how they want their retirement to go. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answers Show. My guest this hour is Walter C. Young. He's the author of a book called The Fifth Option, A Journey to Retirement Readiness, Why Your Retirement Plan Won't Work the Way You Think It Will. You can find out more at his website, thefifthoption.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Walter C. Young, author of the book, The Fifth Option, A Journey to Retirement Readiness, Why Your Retirement Plan Won't Work the Way You Think It Will. You can find out more at his website thefifthoption.com. Welcome back to show, Walter. Thank you for having me. So we talked about Pension 2.0. Another strategy related to this is commonly called the bank on yourself strategy, also using insurance. How does that play into how you can plan for retirement? Yeah, so the bank on yourself, uh, you know, that's one term. You know, it's really, it's a little bit of a different paradigm in that using life, what they're, that's all about is using life insurance as a financing tool, right? And so, one of the lessons that people learn when they go through the banking or the infinite banking or any of those kinds of style of, of conversation is understanding that you finance something either by paying somebody an interest rate or you forego the ability of earning interest because you paid cash for something. And so the middle ground for a lot of this is using a strategy called collateralization where I keep my balance sheet by just pledging something of collateral to borrow so that I can make a purchase. One great example, I think, is probably thinking about Jeff Bezos or, or any person that has a lot of significant stock where these gentlemen never sell their shares to make a purchase. They simply collateralize them with a bank loan so that they can make their purchase understanding that their shares are gonna be growing in the future. And so what Infinite Banking or, or Banking Yourself allows you to do is you can begin to build equity in a life insurance policy in a way that I can borrow from the insurance company's money, allowing my life insurance policy to continue to grow uninterrupted, and then I can make a purchase. The reason I think it's a a fairly interesting strategy is that I like to build my balance sheets. I don't like to sell elements off my balance sheet. So if you have something that can earn 8, 9, 10, 12% in the markets, or maybe you're a small business, or maybe you have real estate, then the last thing you want to do if you need to make a purchase or finance something is to have to sell one of those assets because likely they can earn more than the interest rate. And so the life insurance policy is a built-in collateralization method where you can automatically have a loan against your life insurance policy. The insurance company certainly will charge you an interest rate but if that interest rate is less than what your earning capacity is with your balance sheet, then you're better off taking the loan than selling off your assets. Yes. And so, so that's the big lesson, I think, in those style of policies. You talk about the three most important rates in financial planning. What are those three rates? 
Yeah, this is a, a new topic I'm working on in my next book, which the three rates of, of financial planning. The first rate is rate of return. What is the rate of return your assets are getting? This gets all of the attention in the financial world, right? Anybody that works with a, a broker or a financial planner, that's the first thing we talk about. You get 8% or 6%, a 10% rate of return. But the dirty little secret is we don't control that, right? I don't get to control what rate of return the market's going to give me. And quite frankly, it's not as important as you think. Because if we move to the second rate, we'll start to understand why that's the case. The second rate is the rate of withdrawal, meaning when I get to retirement, what rate of withdrawal am I setting myself up for? If I don't take active steps, then I will get the default rate, which is at 3 to 4% rule. And so now I'm relegated to taking out a very small amount of my asset base simply because I don't know how long I'll live or what rate of return the markets will give me. But the third one is the rate of enjoyment, which means if I create strategies like Pension 2.0 or Beat the Bear, where I have a better rate of withdrawal, then I get to enjoy more of my money over a longer period of time. If I, it's, it's simple math to say, if I can set myself up to have a 7% withdrawal rate from my portfolio versus a 4%, then I know that I will have a better rate of enjoyment in retirement. We'll gain a lot more confidence We'll have a lot more ability to do the things we love, spend the, the more time with the people we love because of that. So rate of return gets all of the attention, but has we have the least amount of control. But once we take active steps to change the rate of withdrawal from 3 or 4% to something higher, we land up getting a better rate of enjoyment. As you went through your MBA training, as you said, most of the time was spent on corporate finance rather than on personal finance. But you say there's a relationship. In fact, you should be the CFO of your own household. Explain how that works. Yeah, so the, 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 I, I kind of joke with people that financial planning and corporate finance and personal finance share the word finance, but they manifest themselves completely differently. Corporate finance is all about cash flow, the movement of money, earnings capacity, right? That's what CNBC earnings calls are all about. Personal finance is about a balance sheet. And a balance sheet is a good indication of things to come, but I have to turn my balance sheet into cash flow eventually. I cannot take my 401k statement with a million dollars on it and go to Safeway and buy milk with it. I have to take that balance sheet and turn it into cash flow. So we need to take a page out of the corporate finance world and realize that we should be setting our households up for the best cash flow strategies, not just the best balance sheet strategies. I kind of joke with people that a balance sheet only strategy is just BS because I have to turn it into cash flow at some point. And so if we begin to think of our homes like a business, running it like a business, and that we are the CFO of our home, then we can maybe take some of the strategies that well-run businesses use, deploy them at our home fronts so that we have a better cash flow outcome when we get to retirement, right? Remember, you are the shareholder of your family business and your children are the junior shareholders. And like every business, we want to maximize shareholder value and we want the focus to be on cash flow, not just balance sheets. No CFO goes on on CNBC and brags about how many billions of dollars they have in the bank. They brag about their cash flow, their earnings. And we need to have that same mindset when we go through our financial journeys. So what are some of the lessons people can learn from a well-run business that apply to their personal finances? Yeah, so we have to understand that one of the nice things about a business, whether well, I should say nice, but one of the natural outcomes of a business is there's 
there's natural accountability. If you work for a small company, accountability is your boss. If you work for a large company, accountability is the shareholders, right? They hire and fire management. So at home, sometimes we treat our boss's money better than our own, right? We might we adhere to the budgets at, at, the, at work, but we may not adhere to our own budgets. We also want to understand that we need to set a profit rate at home. I call it a profit rate instead of savings rate because savings sounds burdensome, but everybody wants to be thought of as profitable. Just think for a second, if you were a business, would you invest in you? Would you feel good about the profit rate your home is generating? Because the good news is we can set the profit rate. We can decide how much money we need to save and then build our, little, our home business around it. So one of the most important things is understanding that. Then we also know that corporations use dashboards, right? They are tracking the right metrics to understand whether or not they're improving. Things like how much cash they have on, on hand, things about protection, things about debt, things about uh, the future income of the business. At home, we can set up certain metrics in the same way. I work with my clients to set up a dashboard of what's important so that we can track the right things and allow them to continue with their, their life, but knowing that they're on pace for their financial goals. In the short term we have left, why don't you kind of summarize what difference it would make in people's lives to take the fifth option, do what we've been talking about, compared to the traditional way people are retiring today? Well, I think in the absence of guaranteed income, it is very hard to understand how many dollars can you confidently take out of a portfolio so that it lasts as long as it needs to last. The academic world is moving into a lot of research in the past in the post-pension environment. And what we're realizing is the mixing of assets and the insurance industries is the key. Today, we recognize that there's really a polarized scenario where people who are in the investment world can't stand insurance and the people that insurance can't stand investments. But the truth of the matter is, like lots of things, their answer is in the middle. Having the right mix of each is what will give you the final and best income outcome you get in retirement. We don't need a single strategy. We really need the blend of these two. For most of the part, assets are the growth engine. And for the most part, insurance is a distribution tool. We need both of them to have a complete financial plan. Very good. Well, we've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Walter Young. His book is called The Fifth Option, A Journey to Retirement Readiness, Why Your Retirement Plan Won't Work the Way You Think It Will. We've talked about uh, Pension 2.0 and lots of different strategies that can help you combining insurance and investments. You can find out more about him at his website, thefifthoption.com. Thanks so much for the, a very interesting show, Walter. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.